Hi everyone, welcome to Freshwater Perspectives. Today we're having a part two and talking about the factors that affect winter fish survival. Thanks for listening. And we're back. Matt. Riley. What doing? I don't know. I feel like this is a very boring part of the year for me. I'm just trying to get out in the field. I've been trying to get the boat for the lab fixed up. Where it was one of those things where I went. So I grabbed the boat battery from the lab, went out to the boat. Battery was dead. Either battery was dead or the hydraulics don't work. I'm pretty sure because I was just trying to raise the motor to kind of take a peek at stuff in there and i wanted to we need to fix a trailer so i wanted to get the boat into the water didn't want the motor to hit the ground all that fun jazz mm-hmm. so didn't know if the battery was dead or hydraulics weren't working so that was like on friday i just want to do that friday afternoon so i just hooked the battery up before i left and i didn't i gotta go check it this afternoon to see if it's all charged and see if it's working i guess so we'll see how that goes stay tuned next week to see how my battery or my boat repair project is going mm-hmm. but yeah the nice. yeah the runners on the trailer are kind of all rotted out i don't know why they're wood but they're wood so they're all rotted out so we got to replace yeah. those so really? this is not really what i intended to do this month but this is what i've gotten roped into so yeah get the environmental get the tech out there man <laughs> yeah she's not both of our techs aren't very i don't know what the word is mechanic-y I mm-hmm. guess, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, they're willing to do anything. If you tell them to do something, they'll figure it out. But I'd rather just mess with the boat myself. I don't have, I mean, my dad had a boat. My uncles had boats. So I'm used to being around boats, but I can't say I'm like a repairman or a mechanic, but I think I can get the job done. But mm-hmm. yeah, what you got going on, dude? Oh, well, um, just living after COVID. <laughs> That's right. Are you, so That's... are you, are you recovered? It's just literally ketchup right now. Um, <clears throat> just got, yeah, residual, but um, yeah, catching up from work and another head down type of week. And okay. yeah, I'm going to go ice fishing here. Well, that's next week, actually. Shoot, I'm getting my weeks mixed up now. So um, yeah, so we're going to be doing right. some, some ice fishing. So we stayed inside, kind of sucked type of week. Um, it's getting a little bit warm, so I think okay. today it's going to be 38 degrees out. Wow. Um, it's mid-February, and, um, you know, we're not to full spring yet. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've heard the, the phrase full spring, where it's like the first... Never. Where the... Um, <laughs> it's like you get you get winter, and everybody's like, I'm done with winter. And we're, mm-hmm. we're a couple weeks to that. Um, but then there'll be, usually in early March, like a, just a little couple hints of spring. Oh. And then there'll be like a stint where it's like a week, maybe nine days of nice warm weather. And people are like, yes. And then it gets cold again. Oh, um, yeah. So this okay. isn't full spring, but it's a gotcha. remnant or it, like it's <laughs> a little precursor. <laughs> like it's, yeah, it's common, right? Well, appetizer. Um, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, it's always fun though, but it'll be nice to get some of the snow out of it. We've got, we got some snow over here. So, okay. Um, yeah, that's, that's it. But I do have an article to talk to you about. You're going to love this. A news article? A news article. Yes, oh, okay. I'll have the, the normal story. But uh, okay. this got, one's I... called 
you ready? I'm ready. This is coming from the Salt Lake Tribune. And this okay. is, is pumping Mississippi River water to Lake Powell and Lake Mead a solution or a dream? You son of a gun. I have that same one I was going to talk about today. Ooh. You beat me to it. When you had um, last week, I was like, oh, I hope he doesn't <laughs> talk about the one. But um, Son of a gun, man. Yeah. I well, then we it's... both know we'll talk yep. about it. So, um, yeah. So, in, this is dated it's February 4th, 2023. Mm-hmm. I guess is when it came out. Um, so, we're talking about it a little bit afterwards. But, excuse me, Arizona urging Congress to investigate pumping flood water from the Mississippi River to the Colorado River to bolster its flow. Mm-hmm. Um. And I heard about this this summer from somebody. I don't know if I mentioned this podcast about this happening. Someone who lives out west. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, what in the world are you talking about? Um, but, yep, drought is very critical out there. There is a lot of snowpack, apparently, that's happening this season. So that's great. Mm-hmm. But um, in lieu of that snowpack, um, <laughs> an Arizona State professor of water law said the drought is so critical that this recent rainfall is like finding a $20 bill when you've lost your job and are evicted from your house. <laughs> so, God. It's like, okay. <laughs> so it's like, yeah. That's a weird analogy, but okay. I know. Band-aid for a bullet wound is basically the the recent uptick in um, precipitation. Both okay. it sounds like water, like rainwater and winter, uh, snow. Jeez, can't talk. Um, a couple more highlights. Yeah, pumping Mississippi water from the you know to the Colorado river we can move water and we've proven our desire to do it i think it'd be foolhardy to dismiss this as not feasible oh yeah set up professor from university of michigan mm-hmm. uh we need to know a lot more about it before we do it basically is what they're looking at um okay so what's being proposed so uh, something i saw in here that that really stuck out to me was like you know this this transporting water from one spot to the next really long ways like this isn't the mm-hmm. first time that this has been brought up so yeah apparently it's yeah. from they've tried this in like the 90s to bring this up they well so a, a large scale that could quite possibly first off yeah they also tried in the 60s oh from wow in the 60s the, it was called the north american water and power alliance um and that that wanted to redistribute alaskan water to oh, yes. the yes, continent yes, yes. using reservoirs and canals mm-hmm. um it fizzled out though mm-hmm but Kansas Groundwater Management Agency, they received a permit last year to truck 6,000 gallons mm-hmm. of Mississippi water. Wait, what? Yeah, to recharge uh, an aquifer. Yeah, but 6,000 gallons, that's not that much. It's really not. I thought it was 6,000 truckloads, but then I just reread it, reread it. But um, yeah. Yeah. And, um, so, northwestern Iowa, like, um, they they pump dry their rural water utility and sell it to out of the state too. Like so, this this selling of water yeah. from one place to the next, it's not That's unfeasible. Twenty twenty one in Arizona, there was a pipeline feasibility study by mm-hmm. former Arizona Governor Doug Ducey. Mm-hmm. Um, invested, so it would be it would be a one point two billion dollar fund to mm-hmm. to look at bringing this water across states. Um, crazy. What yeah. do you think, Matt? I'm, I'm still so, panning through here. Like, yeah, so I have some of the numbers. I'm pretty sure we found the exact same Associated Press okay. article. <laughs> so yeah. if I'm not mistaken, I have some of the numbers here from that article. So the closest estimates from some of those early feasibility studies, they haven't been peer-reviewed yet, if I'm not mistaken. But some of the numbers they've tossed out there is that the project would need to bring 600,000 acre-feet of water to the Colorado River 
at a cost of about $1,700 per acre foot pump. And it would take at least 30 years to complete. And as far as what this would look like, it would need to be a pipe that is 88 feet in diameter while also being buried 60 feet into the ground. Yeah. Isn't that weird? Like, yeah. um, oh, and then, um, if you had a penny a gallon, the price would be to fill up Lake Mead would be $134 billion. <laughs> wow. Um, oh, yeah. Lake Mead and Lake Powell. Um, so that's a lot. I, right away, yeah. what's like jumps out to me is invasive species. Like, not only that, but it's not like the Mississippi is this never ending water supply. I mean, the Mississippi basin goes through droughts just like every other water basin. Mm -hmm. And this just strikes me as classic, like robbing Peter to pay Paul kind of thing. Like, where I could see it really working if like this was going through would be like diverting the spring floods where there's yeah. just that, that period of like just a crazy amount of water going through. Yeah, that's true. That's but a good like point. Still, like, yeah. I, I mean, I just, when you're, when you're tr thinking about a project this massive, yeah, like we said, like they said, this, this by far wouldn't be like the craziest engineering project that America or even anywhere on the planet has done before. This is pretty mm -hmm. straightforward in my It'd opinion. It'd just be like a pipeline, right? Yeah, yeah. just a pipeline. Nothing like crazy. Pipes. But it's the sheer cost. It's like, what are the socioeconomic and political impacts of this? Who gets like, I don't know. I, I think we got to see kind of what else comes from this. I just, I, I don't like the idea of just... I don't know. I don't like, I guess the big thing we've talked about desalination on this channel a lot, but I guess the big thing with desalination is that it can't, it's less a cost issue, more demand issue. Mm -hmm. I guess it can't reach the demand no matter how many desalination plants you make. I've, I don't, I'm not sure. Or I guess just maybe in the long run, this know. pipeline is cheaper. I'm guessing if to just lay a bunch of, just lay that huge pipeline in the long run, however long that lasts, it'll probably might be cheaper than maintaining and running who knows how many desalination plants. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. yeah I'm just, I don't know. I just, I got a bad feeling about these giant <laughs> undertakings. <laughs> yeah. Um... But yeah, invasive species is a really, really good uh, thing to think about because I can 100% see the Asian carp then getting into the Colorado River. I just think of like, yeah. Just a direct pipeline, literal pipeline. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> just a yeah. school of carp just yeah. flying through. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's weird. Uh, that, that, um, so yeah, this like this isn't just one person talking about it. That's it, that, I think what stands out to me. It's like I think yeah. they're like it's... really thinking about it, but like I don't know, man. Yeah, it's been brought up again and again and again. It seems, which is mm -hmm. kind of weird. Not sure how I feel about it. Um, For sure, just the novelty of it, I think, is what strikes me. Where I don't want it. I don't know if I necessarily want it to happen, but just that they're even thinking about it. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. even when you're just thinking about the project, you'd have to. So, however, like wherever that pipe would go, you'd have to purchase all, get all the land rights. Mm -hmm. So that that wouldn't be cheap. Yeah, and then, well, so like pipeline stuff I've, I've 
didn't work with it too long, but like, yeah, like the, the pipeline, those rights is it's big. Mm -hmm. And then if individuals are like, I don't want this anymore. Yeah. You have litigation too. Um, yeah. My, I mean, so like with a water pipeline, like, you know, when they, they always talk about oil and natural gas, you don't want that in your property. Cause Oh, what if it leaks stuff like yep. that? I mean, if a water pipeline leaks, it's just water. So it's nothing really bad about it. So I don't know. Like dirty Mississippi water though. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just don't, I don't know how I feel about it. I, I think it's one of those things where it's like, Oh, it's a cool idea. Like you're in a board meeting. You're like, Oh, yeah, that's a cool idea. Anyway. Like, you know, you're like, Oh, it's just take Mississippi water and just pump it across the country. Like, Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, okay, guys, brainstorming. Yeah. <laughs> like, what we can do on the guy in the back. Like, well, why don't we just pipe it? <laughs> yeah. All right. We'll put that on the board. All right, we'll leave that up like, there for oh, now. Jerry, and then they're like, it's not a bad idea, actually. <laughs> actually. Uh, we got know. more pipe than we got water. <laughs> Guys, how um how how much would that cost? Can someone can someone get us the numbers on that actually? Just said uh, humor me. Yeah. <laughs> like we also yeah, we should see if the the lobbyist or whoever brought it up owns stock in a, a pipeline. American company. steel or whatever. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> okay but oh, anyways geez. so that was that story let's get into the meat and potatoes of this mm -hmm. uh this week yeah this is gonna be a part two and this is uh so a couple podcasts ago probably two if i'm doing my math right mm -hmm. not that hard of math um <laughs> we talked about winter kill and that was when i definitely had covid so i apologize if i was a little loopy but you know um That's that covid brain I know, but so this is a follow-up. So we talked about winter kill and the winter kill for those of you who haven't looked at that podcast is like, um, there's fish die-offs that can happen and other die-offs of aquatic organisms that happen in the winter because there is ice that covers the top of a lake or pond that reduces the amount of oxygen exchange between the atmosphere and the water. Uh, you have your oxygen budget basically under that little bubble of ice. And um, that can be depleted. If it gets depleted, things are going to die. Um, so that, that can make winter for sure hard for things that we enjoy like fish. But that's not the full extent of the story. There's still more things that go on. Um, more things, I should say, that, that fish need to overcome to survive winter. So winter is just hard all around. And it doesn't mean you're going to die. It could mean you're going to die. But there, there's still things that can affect your overall fitness of a fish and we're gonna talk about those things today and we're gonna um talk about four specifically and that's thermal stress starvation predation and disease um so if fish can go overcome these factors in addition to auction depletion which we already talked about uh, winter survival is pretty high and we're going to cover these in in detail so thermal stress starvation predation disease number okay. one <clears throat> nope anything matt no, I don't think so. I'm not okay. as big of an expert on this. I'm I know a lot about the mixing and stuff like that. I don't really think about the fish all that often, so I like this. I know. What about the fish? So yes, number one is thermal stress. And a major hurdle that freshwater fish have to overcome in surviving extremely um in winter is ex surviving extremely low temperature. Properly for people that a good, a good amount of people will know that you know most fish are cold-blooded and this is a big trait that allows them to survive uh, the winter and this means that a fish's body temperature adapts to the environment that they're in fish cannot regulate their own body temperatures in most 
cases. I know there'll mm -hmm. be some person. Uh, yeah. And this is known as poquilotherms, fun words. Mm -hmm. uh, I still can. Yeah. That's all right. I got a doctorate. Yeah. You're great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so fish are cold-blooded. This is in contrast to humans and other mammals who are what's known as warm-blooded, meaning you can self-regulate your temperature. Uh, this leads to shivering to warm up when you're cold and sweating to cool yourself down when you're hot. Fish don't have these habitations and rather live in the same temperature in their environment for better or for worse. Okay, and really big flag here is that the ability to match body temperature in the surrounding environment, this does not mean that all fish or fish, just one fish, can survive all temperatures. Mm -hmm. um, there's still tolerances that occur in freshwater fish, and this is why we have freshwater fish classifications like cool water, cold water, warm water species. Um, to get in the really nitty-gritty details, I had to do this for like my master's program, and I was like, like even within those ranges, there's so much range in there, and like, you know, just like us, um, you know, you can fish that are, you know, usually in a cold area if they you know if you warm them up over time or like build up that tolerance they can survive warmer temperatures mm -hmm. um it's just there's like critical thermal maximum and like critical thermal minimum so it's like what's the absolute they get thrown in this water they're gonna die there's mm -hmm. a, and then there's like if what's the absolute that even if we like give them just like a degree a day where can they go until they finally die there's all these weird mm. um tests that have been done um, both on the high and extreme temperatures. And they, like well, some fish, like um, carp, for example, have really huge ranges, which is crazy. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> but for example, you know, like in a given situation, if you took a fish from the Amazon River, which is near the equator, um, they would have a heck of a time surviving, um, you know, winter environments like we're talking about, under the ice, super cold. So there is a temperature range. Uh, and then there's those, those limits as well. What's interesting is that fish living in extreme winter conditions, they can develop some adaptations to survive some physical adaptations. Uh, it's, a lot of it's seen marine species. So for example, some marine fish have anti-freezing agents that- mm -hmm. Yeah, I've heard about that. Yeah, found within their cells and that's gonna prevent them from surviving past the point of freezing in seawater. And then there's also some temperature regulation within like a body so um, you can increase you can't but a fish could increase their sodium potassium pump activities and that's going mm -hmm. to increase their internal temperatures an adaptation that is similar but still different than what mammals do uh, so there is some exceptions to the rule they can get really fun but mm -hmm. um yeah there is still this this thermal stress that people have to do and for an example of thermal stress though um i'm gonna use snyder and hennessy and this was in 2002 journal of something uh <laughs> didn't write it down <laughs> of course um yeah and they assessed how important there's a lot of variables that can happen why you know fish can survive or die from thermal stress they looked at fatty acids in overwintering survival and they looked at a species known as alewives, okay? Yep. And alewives, um, they gave them, exposed them to a series of cold challenges to simulate winter conditions. Alewives are a forage fish in most cases, if I'm remembering right. And 
what's interesting or a point that they're looking at is that you know, some of these alewife populations are prone to massive die-offs. And researchers want to know why. So massive winter die-offs can happen. And indeed, uh, in the studies, Snyder and Hennessy found that some alewives died after being exposed to extreme cold. However, some did not. And that's like, why? 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 Within the same species, you know, these different temperature ranges that we're exposing to, some are dying at this really cold, but some are not. And they looked into it more and they found that fatty acid content in the cell membranes of alewives was to, was to blame? or was the, the attributing factor of why they survived. So huh. dead fish had lower levels of unsaturated fatty acids, while survivors had higher levels of monosaturated fatty acids. So more fat, even within a different species, that's, that's interesting. Um, they looked at it further and looked at, well, maybe these fish had different diets before the, um, the test mm -hmm. occurred, and that's why some had fatty acids, some didn't, or different types of fatty acids. Uh, they found that that wasn't to be the case, though. Even when fed like the same oh. diet, um, some had just this different composition of fatty acids within the same species. Um, so what they attributed was a genetic predisposition to being better suited for harsher winters. Oh. Um, so even within a single species, so that you know, if you take it in a human standpoint, you know, some people are adapted at you know better you know, their their genetics. I'm thinking like Nordic people, right? Like in the in the winter, and they can just survive winter. Um, any questions there, Matt? So it it was just down to so it was the type of fat or like the actual amount of fat. It was the amount of fat okay. that was like the number one, okay. and that was just because there was a genetic huh. predisposition. So I'm wondering too, yeah. and I didn't look into this, if they got at the alewives from two different lakes. Or this was like yeah. this is the, the same thing within the same lake because that would raise the question like, is the genetic predisposition be like okay, um, this is preventing a population of alewives mm -hmm. from if if it got really cold, not all of them are going to die if there's that genetic mm -hmm. mix up in a single yeah. lake. I mm -hmm. think that's what it was. Yeah, I, I mean can't that's remember. just sounds like just classic kind of you know genetic diversity, natural mm -hmm. selection, all that all that fun jazz. So yeah, that makes sense. I mean, in general, yeah, if you you're just kind of naturally producing a more cold hardy species like that. So yeah, that mm -hmm. works. That makes sense. So there can be but... yes, thermal so fish can have both like that predisposition. Well, no, I'll take that back. So there can be tolerances that fish can survive, but then there also can be some more genetic adaptations. So so that's the point of the example is that mm -hmm. um there can be fun things that why fish survive winter um so that's that's temperature now we gotta mm -hmm. talk about starvation so starvation okay. within winter is a big one um it comes as no survived um that 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 starvation can be a big issue in winter in an article by miranda in 2014 in the journal lake line got it this time nice Ooh. Um, the author provides three strategies related to metabolism. So when we're talking about starvation, talking about metabolism at the almost the basic sense that fish can utilize to get through winter. And okay, so these three strategies to survive starvation, energy storage, so how much you bring it in, energy conservation, mm -hmm. so how you use that energy storage. And then the mm -hmm. third one, which is kind of related, is called energy allocation. I'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, that's really more okay. so for um, reproduction energy allocation. Um, gotcha. 
But the ins and the outs, that's the big crux of this one. So energy yep. storage. So think of the videos you saw perhaps when you were young, Matt, trying to become a biologist. And uh, you, you see the bears in Alaska and they're just eating crazy mm -hmm. amounts of fish to gain mass before mm -hmm. winter. I always think about that. Like that's, that's how you survive winter, man. You gain mass. Well, that's what fish species do too. So um, Makes sense. <laughs> to survive the winter months, you better be working um, before winter occurs. So accumulation of energy during non-winter months is critical. During the months um, that winter occurs though, when this energy stores are being used, fats like lipids and glycogen, they're metabolized first. Uh, muscle tissues would be metabolized if starvation is severe. Uh, that occurs in humans, I believe, as well. Fats and lipids. Um, <clears throat> burn fat, then muscle, usually. Um, yes. <laughs> but um, it comes as no, perhaps no coincidence then that spawning season for most freshwater fish occurs quickly after the winter months. Uh, you could think of this in a couple different ways, but one way to think of it is, is that that's giving the offspring the most maximum amount of time oh. to grow before the next winter comes okay so in fact there is reports that larval fish grow faster and there's research and grow faster at higher latitudes so the higher latitudes oh. they have a shorter growing season so they have to grow faster in comparison to fish found by the crew equator hmm. um, this i guess doesn't really this is just by latitude, though. It doesn't go into effect of, like, you know, prey, size, you know, all that. So yeah. I think there's a lot more to it, but this is just boiling down one of those factor yeah. variables. Mm -hmm. Yeah, usually, too, like the general, at least the general principle, at least when I was kind of coming up, was that when you think of temperature and how things work, things work faster at higher temperatures just because, like, chemical reactions happen faster. So if you had... Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. kind of two organisms one's living in a colder ecosystem one's living in a warmer ecosystem you'd expect the one the warmer to grow faster that's interesting mm -hmm. did not know that mm -hmm. yes so that is energy storage now we got to talk about okay you get the energy in now how do you conserve it before mm -hmm. it goes out so bringing it in now we're talking about going out and if storing energy is the first act of surviving winter then responsibly using that energy um, is the next act to survive luckily so this is where fish kind of have good luck is that um, their metabolism and when i talk about metabolism i should have mentioned this earlier respiration digestion overall activity is slowed to very low levels in the winter months relative to their summer metabolism so just implicitly in the winter everything slows down which is good because then that means they're storing more energy and not using it um <clears throat> that can be a godsend in the winter months like we talked about especially if it gets really severe um and what makes this even more of a godsend is that life in freshwater ecosystems under the ice begins to slow down entirely. And we talked about that last couple episodes ago. Fish prey, like zooplankton, other fish species, will have a reduction in metabolism and growth, making their prey items in short supply. Plants also die off in the winter. That reduces primary productivity. Therefore, oxygen is less present in the winter in the water in winter months as well if a fish were to have the same metabolism that they had in the summer months they would need a lot more energy to grow or keep like sustain their body weight mm -hmm. um, and they would need a lot more oxygen which if you don't have it um, so it's kind of a win-win in this situation about a lower metabolism in the winter less mm -hmm. prey low oxygen Just hang out guys that's what it yeah. is makes sense um, 
So Miranda, this author that we're, we're taking from, also points out that fish can conserve their metabolism by choosing the right habitat for overwintering. So hmm. under the eight lake, excuse me, under the ice is not uniform. There's still fun little microhabitats that, that fish can hang out in. And for example, I think a lot of ice fishermen would know, fish is going to, they're going to go to the deeper waters um, for the, you know, you're not going to go fishing in like three feet of water. Usually when you're ice fishing, you're going to go a little mm -hmm. bit deeper. Um, fish migrate to the, the, the deeper water for a number of different reasons. There could be more oxygen there, but also temperatures typically are going to be a little bit slightly warmer at deeper depths. We talked mm -hmm. about that, um, that it kind of flips the um, thermal profile of a lake. Yep. Um, flips and so that's you know those microhabitats that we're talking about but there also can be evidence you know within lakes that groundwater in seep for example or you have a stream coming in from somewhere that might have increased water temperature so groundwater might be warmer than the lake water um, depending on geology mm -hmm. and fish will move to those areas so there's a little tip if you found some like for example where I am right now like um the, the spring fed areas we don't mm -hmm. have a lot of lakes though but like yeah if the spring that's feeding the area that that like you can literally see the water coming from the ground like that might be warmer so in the mm. in the, the, the summer might be colder but yeah in the winter if it gets so cold it might be warmer mm. um and then there's other characteristics so catfish will burrow in the mud and gravel to insulate themselves to maintain warmth um, during the that. winter, almost like a turtle, Matt. Yeah, didn't know that. Mm -hmm. Ooh, quick side note I have written down. A study by Danks, Danks, in 2012 in the Canadian Entomologist. So we're talking about bugs, people, mm -hmm. entomology. Uh, they report that aquatic insects also have a number of methods to avoid dying during the winter. And this prevents their body from freezing. A lot of them prevent the body from freezing. That's kind of like what how they survive if they don't mm -hmm. just end their life, you know, um, life cycle i should say they don't just <laughs> cut it That's off it. but like too cold for me <laughs> they're like no some insects will go into a state of torpor even produce protective barriers like cocoons or eggs with hard outer crusts um bug populations will wait out the winter season until better conditions arrive makes sense make sense yeah so now we got the ins mm -hmm. we got the outs of energy now we're gonna talk about energy allocation and this is largely related to, so the third one, energy allocation, largely related to spawning and reproduction. Uh, water temperature, obviously, in many situations, as to say, goes hand in hand with spawning, of fresh, with freshwater species spawning. Um, cool and cold water species, they're going to wait until, this, well, I should say cool and warm water species will wait till spawning during the spring when water temperatures increase. Think of sunfish, think of bass, okay? Mm -hmm. um, they're going to spawn in that early in their season. That can change wherever you are in the United States. Matt, you might already be getting close to the spawn. Maybe. It's a little early. Yeah, I don't know. It's, but, still, um, it's still pretty chilly here, but maybe. <laughs> but um, so that that occurs right right after winter. Mm -hmm. So that begs the, the idea of that, that it's really critical that spring spawners do not use their full energy stores during the winter months. Otherwise, this is going to have, they're going to have no energy to spawn, okay? Mm -hmm. um, unfortunately, a harsh winter may knock out an entire population of fish from an area if there's not surviving pairs of spawners, um, mm -hmm. be it females that can't produce enough eggs, for example. Mm -hmm. If there's not enough of them, um, a single bad winter can mean disaster for lakes to come. 
so think about that everybody um yeah and now any questions pretty straightforward yeah it makes a lot of sense i guess Mm -hmm. yeah it makes it makes a lot of sense i guess i never really thought too much about why stuff spawns in the spring other than yeah they need more time to get ready for the following winter gotta get as fat as you can get yeah um before the next one and this is it might not be like this for everywhere right yeah but no, that makes sense. Yeah, because then you're because then the parents are spending that time as well, getting their fat stores up to produce more Just gametes fat. and stuff. Yeah, fatty, fat, fatties. Yeah. Um, the next <laughs> is predation. So number three, little recap. We talked about thermal stress, starvation, mm-hmm. and now we're gonna talk about predation. And this won't be that long. So. Predation is definitely not the biggest stressor that fish face in the winter, but can be a year-round issue for some, definitely. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you go ice fishing, fish are biting something. Like, there's still something going on on the ice, right? Yep. Um, although reduced, fish predation will onboard fish, aquatic bugs, phytoplankton, some plants as well. Life still goes on, just reduced. Mm-hmm. Um, but some species, what's interesting is, is that they have evolved to capitalize on the reduction of movement of their predators to gain access to more lethargic food. So, for example, the burbot, Lota Lota. Uh, yeah, good old burbot. Now, their research, um, this is in Miranda again. Um, 2014, like we talked about before, um, they, they reported, well, I guess they reported on a study. So I guess it's more of like a summary study, um, literature review, but they the burbot is reported to be more active in the winter than it is in the summer. Um, which is, you think like, okay, well maybe that's just conjecture. I don't know if that's the right word, but like literally burbot metabolism is actually found to be reduced in the summer and more active in the winter. So like, oh, like in the body like yeah, it's, they are yeah. like they are literally like a more cold water species <clears throat> they are flipped and <laughs> this is quite a change when compared to most freshwater fish um, some atlantic cod for example some marine fish can have this as well um and these fish will have greater stomach contents yeah. this is this research in the winters and they do the more mild ones um <laughs> i think that is important to note because i'm fairly certain cod and burbot are closely related they are so back to the burbot though. Yes. So one of the reasons, yeah, they literally more active in winter. Is it because of predation? They're avoiding their predators. Um, could be. Could be that yeah. again that they're more lethargic. Um, their predators are more lethargic. Excuse me. Their their prey is more lethargic too. So mm-hmm. it's like shooting. Yeah. Apples out of a barrel for fish, I guess. <laughs> shooting fish out of a barrel. Shoot, yeah, shooting fish in a barrel, more like. So there is some. So predation, just overall, though, I want to mention that. Yeah, it's it's still happening. It's still cool. <laughs> and the last one that I'm going to talk about is disease and parasites. So research has shown that disease and parasite infections, um, they can actually be increased in winter months. Okay, stress is incurring. Think about us, flu. I just got COVID. Been inside. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that's true. Yeah, I guess I never mm-hmm. thought about that. Flu season, quote unquote. Yeah. I think might be a little bit different than that you know yeah. um and also people do get worn down in the winter but i think it's more so just a proximity issue mm-hmm. yeah people are just humans. more inside and together and like for fish it's more at least as i've been reading um it's like more because they're getting run down their energy stores going down not a lot of prey you know you're starving like mm-hmm. yep stuff can happen 
Um, so in one example, smallmouth bass, this was a study by Horning and Peterson in 1973. <laughs> the authors found an increased fungal infection occurred in the bass populations exposed to winter temperatures that resulted in a higher mortality when compared to fish left in warmer waters. The, um, the authors equated this higher mortality to a reduction of energetic metabolism and increased stress during the winter. So metabolism's going down, higher stress, and um, these factors combined with potential starvation can lead to disease and parasites outbreaks in the winter season. Uh, here's another interesting example. This is from Lemney and Esch in 1984. Yeah, mm. we're, we're oldies but goodies, dude. Yeah, oh, yes. You're going back in the in the archives there. Mm -hmm. These are just like when people are like, let's put them in a tank, see what happens, man. Uh, they looked at trematode parasite infections in juvenile bluegill. Trematode parasite infections, little worms, basically. Um, right? Yeah, little toads. Mm -hmm. Just kidding. <laughs> yeah, they're little toads. Just little, little and swimming they, around. <laughs> these infections in juvenile bluegill, they cause greater mortality in the winter because trematodes, so this is what's interesting. So it's not that infections occurred more, but like these parasites that I'm assuming are there all the time, they cause more mortality in the winter because infections, when, when a fish got infected by a trematode, uh, it in, increased the, the rate, the metabolic rate of the fish. Okay. Oh. So bluegill reduced its energy stores quicker than if it wasn't infected with these trematodes. So for trematodes to survive, they mm. need to increase the rate of their host. And this led to, especially like little juveniles, you don't have that much wiggle room. Yeah. Um, they became, the bluegills became too lean during especially hot winters. And this led to very unfortunate situations in the springtime. And that's really interesting. Mm -hmm. God, nature is so cool sometimes, man. Nature. But then again, yeah. like don't kill your host. I thought that was like the name of the game for infectious diseases well, it depends on the it depends on the disease or virus or bacteria right because sometimes yeah, they need to kill their host to reproduce you know so mm -hmm. they'll they'll use their host cells to produce more of themselves then they kill the host and then like their host explodes or whatever you know <laughs> but that's so crazy that's yeah just uh they're like so little you know uh it's like that's almost creepy i know so with that that is some more factors for the winter. It's not all just about oxygen. There's still a lot winter months under lakes. It's hard. Mm -hmm. But some fish get through it. And then we yeah. go ice fishing. So it's not nice. all bad. No. Only the strong survive, baby. Genetics. Right. Talked about <laughs> genetics. Yeah. So um, life will find a way. Mm -hmm. Now, on the flip side of this, I didn't have time to, to do any more. But like... um. It's going to be interesting to see like how things change because there is there, there's research right now showing like like the winter season, like ice out season. Like there like there's ice on the lake. It's like in some areas, it's like two weeks on both sides of the winter. It's getting shorter, basically. Like, so how is that going to change areas, say, in North America where there's ice? You know, like like everything in like right now has a season, but like. When there isn't a season, how is that going to affect things? Oh, so you're you're so you're saying that period where the lake is ice covered is shortening. Yes. Sorry. Oh, okay. Everyone. Okay. No, I th I think what you said made sense. I just I think you used the word ice out, and it, my brain didn't know how to process that word. But um, yeah. So. <laughs> okay. No, yeah, that's interesting. 
Um, hmm. Yeah, nice job, Riley. Thanks. I, I will. I will say I have some bangers coming up, and I'm excited. Ooh. I just had to like put this one in there because I was like, ah, I mean, it makes sense to put it in here, but like, I want to talk more about these. This other one that I just did. This right. one, other one I'm talking about is probably going to happen in two. Well, four if we go back and forth podcasts from now. Oh wow! So I shouldn't okay. bring it up, but I'm excited yeah. about it. I have. Like I said, I want to I want to get more into the water wars, but they take a lot more research and time than I have right now. So, well, unfortunately, no, we just find somebody who like who's in the middle of it and can talk yeah. all day about it. I know. Oh, that'd be mm. so great. Might have to, but, that actually might be easier to do. But anyway, if people want to read more about this, they can go to freshwaterperspectives.substack.com. And if they want to provide any feedback or have any ideas for future shows, you can go ahead and email us at f w perspectives podcast at gmail.com anything else yeah, buddy Riley? okay well thanks matt this is fun yep have a good week thanks buddy you too see ya